experts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. Well, thank you and welcome to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman. So glad you could join me today. A few weeks ago, I said that after the volatility that we saw in the first quarter, the second quarter would probably be relatively calm. But you know what? It's gotten too calm. The nearly 10% rally that we've seen over the last couple of months, well, it's pushed the VIX down below 17 for the first time in the COVID era. Now, the VIX, um, which if you listen for a while, you know that I use as a measure for gauging risk in the equity market. And put simply, the lower the reading, the less the fear. The higher the number, well, the more fear there is. And throughout the rally of the year, of this year, the VIX has been falling. And it's been hitting new lows each time the S&P hits a new high. Now, that makes sense, right? Less fear in a rising market. But it's when these investor sentiment readings, which is what the VIX is, when they get to extreme levels, well, that's when the hair on the back of my neck stands up. And that's when I start to pay close attention. And when it gets to extreme levels, I usually want to think about doing the opposite of what everyone else is doing. We know that the market's been running and we know why. It's because the economy is set to boom this year. You have an easy Fed. You have ultra-loose fiscal policies. Those are the two big factors at play. But if you step back and you pop the hood and you take a look underneath, well, that's when you start to get a little bit worried, or at least that's when I start to get a little bit worried. Because it's not just the VIX, the ISM, the Institute for Supply Management. Their manufacturing and service readings, well, they're at nosebleed levels. And you have to wonder how much more they can go up. You have the one in five-year earnings per share estimates. They've crested it. So have the net earnings revisions. And the breadth of the market? Well, I think that's about as good as it gets with the percentage of stocks trading above their 50 and 200-day moving average. It's darn close to 100%. Junk bond yields? Well, they're at all-time lows. And I could go on and on, but I think you get the idea. The market looks pretty on the outside but it's what's on the inside that counts. And inside looks pretty scary. The bottom line on the big picture is, I think we're at a stop sign. No, 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 not at the end of a dead end road, just at a stop sign. I think we're overbought and I think we need a pause, maybe even a pullback here. Now, I've been a big fan of the financials and I still am, but I think they may take a bit of a break here. They've had a, they've had a fantastic run especially when you compare them to the market. Financials are usually the first ones to report earnings, and they did just a couple of weeks ago, and they all crushed analysts, the analysts' earnings expectations. I'll give you an example. JP Morgan, symbol JPM, they reported their gap earnings of $4.50 a share. Analysts were predicting $3.10. That's a big beat. They came in at 450. The analysts were guessing 310. U.S. Bank Corp, symbol USB, they reported $1.45 in the earnings, and the consensus was for 96 cents. Bank America, symbol BAC, 
they came in at 86 cents versus the consensus of 66 cents. So again, they're all big beats. Each of them were a little bit different, but in general, they all got a big boost, a big earnings boost from releasing reserves. What does that mean? Well, when the economy is headed down, the banks put away a little extra money to offset any loan losses that might come their way. And this money that they reserve, well, it's an expense. So it hurts their earnings. But when things pick up, and loan losses seem less less likely because people are going back to work, things are going, right? Well, when things pick up, they release some of the reserves like they just did, and that helps their reported earnings. Therefore, the bank saw their earnings improve a great deal because of the release of these reserves and, of course, lower loan losses along the way, too. So those aren't high-quality earnings. They're lesser quality, right? But as a group, they really didn't react to these big beats, and I think for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, stocks have run up. I think they've just run out of gas, at least for now. Long term, I I still like them. I love them. But in the short term, I just think they've run out of gas. Just look at U.S. Bancorp, as I said, USB. Three months ago, it was in the mid-40s. Today, it's in the mid-50s. Goldman Sachs, three months ago, it was under 300. Now it's 340-ish. You get the point. If you owned them, you've made a good amount of money. In a short period of time. Second, and to a much lesser degree, was their loan growth was rather modest. Apparently, you and I, the consumer, we're in pretty good shape. Instead of using our credit cards, we've actually been using our debit cards because we have extra cash in the bank. Now, once we start to whittle away that cushion of cash, then we'll start using our credit cards again. And the banks are going to be happy about that because their loan books will start to grow. So in the short term, there probably isn't a lot of upside for the banks, but I still like them in the portfolio longer term. I'm collecting the dividend. And I think the longer term story is for them to still re-rate higher on their business models. In other words, people paying higher PEs for them in the future. Something else I like in my portfolio? Well, the semiconductors. I talked about them on the last show. Intel being my favorite, Intel is symbol INTC. And you can go back and listen to the, the last show I did get the rundown there. Now, and there's also been a lot of talk about Johnson & Johnson, symbol J&J. A lot of talk about them lately because of the pause in their use of the COVID vaccine. Johnson & Johnson is what I consider a core holding. You know, one that you buy and you tuck away, don't worry too much about it. And you just let it compound for years and years, a long-term compounder. That's what J&J is. It's actually the only drug stock that I consider a core holding, and that's because it has a more diverse revenue stream than all the other ones. They have the drug division, they have the medical devices, and they also have consumer products. So they have three different businesses. Now, they don't all go in the same direction at once. Two may be going up, one may be going down, vice versa. But you have that diverse revenue stream. So there's something working at all times, at least we hope. Now, Johnson & Johnson just came out and they boosted the lower end of of their earnings guidance for this year. And they posted stronger than expected quarterly results. 
they've reported $2.59 a share versus the estimates for $2.31. That's for the quarter. Now, if they hit the midpoint of their guidance for this year or what they just upped, they hit the midpoint of that right smack dab in the middle. Well, then the stock is trading at about 17 times this year's earnings and about 16 times next year's earnings guess. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think that's an exorbitant price to pay for a company that has a great balance sheet like they do. Actually, it's one of the best balance sheets that you'll find. They have high earnings predictability. You know what? And, and to put that 16, 17, 16, 17 times earnings price tag into perspective, that's about average for them over the last 10 years or so. And consider this, the market is trading well above its average. So I think you can look at it. And you know what? That fits nicely in with my investment philosophy in that I buy what I think are high quality businesses at a discount to what I think they're worth. I consider myself a diehard value investor, but I think the definition of value has been muddled a bit. You know, there's a lot of different branches on the value tree. Some invest, uh, some investors consider themselves deep value. Some are growth at a reasonable price. Some are quality at a discount. All can be considered value investors. When you hear the media talk, talk about it, about value versus growth and how one is outperforming the other, quite frankly, I don't pay much attention because most likely their def- definition of value is going to be different than what mine is. Another one I think very interesting in the drug space is Regeneron, symbol R-E-G-N. I like it under 500. If the earnings guesses are right, then Regeneron is trading about 13 times this year's earnings and 11 times next year's earnings. Again, these are just guesses, but I think it's pretty darn cheap for this business. Here's another company that... uh when you look at it, they're generating more in cash flow than they are in reported earnings. They have a really good balance sheet, but the earnings predictability isn't quite as good as J&J, and they're not as diversified. Regeneron's role in developing the COVID treatment, it's pretty well known. You've probably heard about it. But what I'm more excited about is their pipeline. The company currently has about 20 compounds under various stages of clinical development. And some of these studies are actually geared towards expanding indications of existing drugs. In other words, using the drugs that they already have for different treatments. And then there's others that are an attempt at the discovery of new medicines in new areas. And some of these trials are sole endeavors, and then others, they actually partner with other companies either way. I'm pretty optimistic that the company is going to achieve further market success and expand their addressable markets, especially when I look back at their track record. Again, I like Regeneron, symbol R-E-G-N, under 500. I own it. I own it for my clients. You know what? And just like, just like the other stocks I talked about today, I own Goldman Sachs, U.S. Bank Corp. If you hear me talking about it, you can assume that I have a vested interest. Let's me put let me just put it that way. I'm not trying to hide anything here. I'm just trying to share my ideas and give you ideas of where you could take a look at. And 
just because I bought it or I own it doesn't mean it's right for you. You have to do your own research and do your own conclusions. Okay, we're a little short on time today. On the next show, we're going to have Andrew Howard of Howard Insurance joining us to talk about property and casualty. I like to spend part of a show or a whole show on financial planning, and this plays in nicely with it. We'll be talking about your homeowner's policy, what it actually covers, and should you consider an umbrella policy? If so, how much? And then all other kinds of insurance matters. So make sure you join us for that. Until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow. This is Eric Whiteman, and this has been Common Sense Investing. show now it's time for the really good stuff so listen up it's the disclosures the things i talk about during the show well they're just my opinion and are not necessarily those of the xml financial group i typically own and trade the securities i'm discussing both personally and for my clients but not all of them likewise employees of xml and our affiliate broker dealer may be trading and providing advice regarding the securities I mentioned to their clients as well. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, you should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I suggest you get someone who's qualified in those areas so you can get the advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. I like to make projections and other forward-looking statements, which are just that, opinions, and are not actual results and are only valid as of the date of this recording. Things change constantly. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.